0: Undoubtedly, one of the most beloved passages in the Haggadah, which is itself one of the most beloved texts that we have, um, is the quote-unquote Four Sons. And um, as is often the case with well-known and beloved passages, it's not well understood. Uh, and so we take a look at the sources, which is in front of us, sources 1, 2, and 3, because source 2 actually includes two different interactions. And we see that what these four sources could easily be referring not to four different sons, but to four different interactions with your son. Um, Rav Amar Bazat suggests that according to Pshat, there's one son in this family. And uh, we're talking about four different contexts where this happens. I, I'm, I'm going to differ from him on one particular point, which is going to drive the Midrash. But I think in general, he's got a good point. We start off as follows. In, in here we're doing the Korban Pesach in Mitzrayim, and Moshe tells us we're going to do this Korban Pesach, and we're not just going to do it as a one-time deal, but when we come to the land, that ostensibly, by the way, at that point in time, is going to be somewhere in the future. In other words, Bnei Israel don't know that they're leaving Mitzrayim. As far as they know, they're going to the desert, they're going to come back, but right now they're going to do a Korban Pesach that night in their houses, and then the day will come, if you take a look at Pasuk Chafé, at some point, you'll come to the land that God promised you. You're going to continue doing this avodah. And your kids are going to naturally, or your son will naturally ask you, I say son because chem is plural. But Moshe's talking to a group. He's talking to all of B'nei Israel. So chem doesn't have to mean your individual sons, but it could be your son and your son and your son is chem. And it's going to say, What does this worship mean to you? Which is a very reasonable thing to ask. And the answer you give is, Right? That when we were in Mitzrayim and we were endangered because these sons weren't around, they don't know about it. So you tell them the story. Very reasonable. We scroll ahead, and in the next parak in Shemot, we're told that we're going to get rid of so we're going to eat Matzah. And ostensibly, we're sitting at the Seder eating Matzah, and we got a Talavin Chamech, more. On that day, the day that you celebrate Yud-Siyya you tell him that Hashem took us out of Yitzrayim, and I'm celebrating. I'm eating matzah. I'm getting rid of chametz. Okay, totally fine. Now you roll ahead, and a couple psukim later, were told that when we come to the land, we're supposed to separate the firstborn animals, the firstborn humans, redeem the firstborn humans, sac- bring the firstborn animals as sacrifices, etc. And your kid's going to turn around and say Mazot which is a very reasonable thing to, for a kid to say, why are you doing this? And the answer is, Hashem took us out with a strong hand, when Paro was was stubborn, Hashem killed the firstborn, and therefore I'm bringing all the firstborn to Hashem. Okay, again, same kid, different context, different time of year, and now we roll ahead and the kid at some unnamed, uncontext time of year uh, or in a situation, says And if we look at it, this passage in Dvarim, it's way out of the story of Yitzit Mitzrayim, in Dvarim, follows after Moshe repeats the Aseret Dibrot and presents the beginning of the law code, as it were, and then there's Shema Yisrael, which is you have to keep these words with you and then don't test Hashem. Hashem brings bring to the land. Don't think that you yourself created this greatness. And then your kid's going to say to you, what are all these laws that you're talking about? And the answer is, Avadim, Ayim, the Pharaoh of Mitzrayim, etc. And Hashem took us out. Uh, and uh, and you then give him reasons for the mitzvot, which are that, first of all, Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, so he told us to do something, we got to do it. Second of all, it's essentially good for us. And third, it'll earn us some sort of reward. Okay, you give me explanations. However, in the simple read of the text, reading through, there's no indication that any father is dealing with different sons. But rather, these are occasions when there's an interaction of that sort. The Chachamim, Midrashically, of course, turned this into Arbabanim. We'll have to see what that means, Arbabanim. But before doing that, I'm going to, and this is where I will disagree with, uh, with Rabbi Zach a little bit, is I think that there's actually buried into the text here, there's allusions, if not stronger, that, that we're dealing, we are dealing with different sons. And uh, I'm going to get to that when we start analyzing the Midrash. But because the Midrash turns this one son into four sons, the Midrash also decontextualizes it and recontextualizes it, meaning, if it's one son, so why is he asking different questions or interacting in a different way? Because they're different contexts. In other words, he sees you doing a korban, he knows what a korban is, but he's asking, what does this particular one mean to you? That's ma'avodazot lachem. On the other hand, you're bringing firstborn animals to the Kohen, and he's just saying ma'zot, because it's kind of a confusing thing, to start with, the Mahahakim v'yishpatim is being asked because there's, there's a lot of laws that you're that you're that we that you say we got in our Sinai. what are they, or maybe he's asking, you have just taught me a lot of laws. what's the meaning behind them? what's the reason for them? and when you're sitting at the Seder, you're have to explain what you're doing, so it's all could be one son once the Midrash turns it into four different kids. It also d de- and recontextualizes it so that they're all keilu at the seder. They're they're all part of the Pesach experience, and they're responding to what they're seeing in different ways. All right. Now, before we go ahead, there's one thing I got to show you um, about the question posed in Sefer Dvarim. And Sefer Dvarim, the kid, is asks a totally legitimate question, and our nice we like this question. In the future, your kid will ask you, now this is Dvarim, which means Moshe is talking to the generation that was born in the desert, or at least grew up in the desert. And they're going to come into the land, and they're going to have kids. So that means these kids didn't see any of it. They didn't see Mitzit they didn't see my Sinai. They, they didn't see the wanders through the desert, they are sabers. And they're going to say, my Adonai Eloheinu etchem. Hashem, our God, commanded you because we weren't there. It's a totally legitimate question. However, if you notice in the footnote here, I I brought the Septuagint translation of that pasuk, and you'll notice that I highlighted the last word. And the last word is "hemin." Hemin means "us." In other words, the way that the Greek translation of this pasuk reads, it's as if the text that they had in front of them was. What are the commandments that Hashem commanded us? That'll become important later on when we look at the, at the famous Midrash. All right, so now let's take a look at the famous Midrash. So, the famous Midrash in its most famous version is Source 6, which is straight the Haggadah. The Haggadah is po visham, little variations. I'll mention one uh, almost immediately uh, between texts, but for the most part, it's a pretty standard text. Baruch HaMakom Baruch Hu, Baruch Shantan Torah which introduces a piece of Torah. Some suggest that it's a mini Berchat Torah said for the special mitzvah of Haggadah. Keneged Arba'a Banim Dibra Torah. Now, what does Keneged mean? Keneged seems to mean as if there were, meaning there's only one son, but the Torah speaks as if there were. This is the point of departure where the Midrash turns that son into, as if it's four sons, and again, recontextualizes it. And the third radical change the Midrash does, besides turning one son into four, B and recontextualizing the setting, it also modifies, and I'm not the right word, it totally changes the answers that we give, at least to, the, to two of the kids. The Torah says, when he asks A, answer B. And we say when the answer is A, answer C. When the answer A, answer Q. A totally different answer. So we'll have to see how that plays out. All right. We're familiar with that. But I'm going to ask you this question. What is a haham? And and I'll give it by way of an analogy. All right. Um I don't want to mention any names here, uh, but let's just say that there's a pitcher on a local baseball team who has been accused of really bad behavior. He's a great pitcher, but he's been accused of real bad behavior. So when you say Clayton Kershaw's good and that guy's bad, what do you mean by bad? You don't mean he's a bad pitcher. You mean he's a bad person. Whatever. So then, what's good? When you say what 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 do you mean then when you say Clayton Clayton Kershaw's good good? He, he's a man, he's a family man, he's, he's a good guy, right? I wouldn't mind having him as a neighbor. If, on the other hand, you say Clayton Kershaw is good, and you mention the name of some minor leaguer who never made it and just got cut from the minor league squad, and you say he's bad, what do you mean by good? Sure. He's a good pitcher. So the word good can have a lot of different, and you need to see the context to understand what that means. The reason I'm asking that is, what is a hahan? How would you translate "chacham"? How do you translate it? You are saying the the wise kid, and the wise uh, kid. What makes him wise? Uh, In other words, I get it could be either learning, or it could be just that's he's just a smart kid. Okay, it could be he has knowledge. It could be he has smarts and ability, cognitive ability. However, it could also be that he is righteous. Meaning, we see the chacham is like a tamil chacham. You know, somebody. Who's got the wisdom, but also got the spiritual sensitivity? Well, I'm not mentioning that because the minute that you turn this kid into four kids, it's natural to see them in two groups of two. And they seem to be paired that way in the Haggadah. In the Haggadah text that we have, it's Chacham Rasha, and then Tom and Shayner the Elishol. So you could see that list as being made up of two possible sets of two either Chacham versus Rasha. Which means Hacham now is what he's a good guy, and then Tom the Yodei show Tom at least knows how to ask, and the Veshenir Yodei show doesn't know how to ask. You could also pair them differently. You could say Hacham versus Veshenir Yodei show, two opposite ends of the intellectual spectrum, and Rasha versus Tom, and therefore Tom now becomes a sweet, nice kid as opposed to the rebellious, angry kid. You could do it that way which is how you going to read the Chacham, right? And that will very much depend on how we understand his question, because it will depend on how we interpret the word Ma. When he says, Ma ha'idot v'chukim mishpatim, <laughs> we talked about this last week in the context of manishtana. what does Ma mean there? What, what is he asking in the Torah when he says, Ma ha'idot ma mishpatim? So you would think that he's asking, what are the laws? In which case you would expect the answer to be, tell him the laws. Surprise, 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 in the Torah, we're told, him, we're told that when he asks, mishpatim, we're supposed to tell him a story. And then we're supposed to tell him how that story interacts with our general obligation to keep the laws, the benefits it brings us, the debt we owe God, Right? But at no point does the Torah say, and teach him the laws. So we now might interpret that when the kid asks maha avidot in the Torah, what he means is why. Why do we have these laws? And you give an answer. In the Haggadah, however, it seems to switch from why to what? Because notice what the answer that we give him. And again, the radical change, we give him a different answer than the Torah. So what do we do? You teach him not what the Torah said, rather what you do is you teach him and then it has this weird line that we do not go out and party in other houses after eating the Pesach. It's a very weird halacha to teach him, which is why as you can see in the faint print, and I mentioned various uh, variant texts of the Haggadah in many texts of Agadah, the word Ad is there. Meaning, Meaning, teach him all the laws, all the way to the last Mishnah, second last Mishnah, but meaning teach him all the laws, all the way to the very last law, which is, Now we understand why it's there, not because it's an important law, or more important than others, but rather because it's the last one, so teach him everything. Kid wants to know the laws, teach him. But notice how we've radically changed who this kid is. We've changed him from a kid who knows the laws and wants to understand the reason behind them, to now a kid who actually might be spiritually cool kid. He's with it, he's the opposite of the Rasha, and yet he wants to know what the laws are. So give him what he wants. Sit and teach him. That's fine. Interesting thing is that the Haggadah is a later reworking of an earlier Midrash, and we have two versions of that earlier Midrash here. The first here is from the Mechilta, which is the Midrash Halacha on Shmot and Midrash Tanaim on Shmot, And you could see right away three and then four really big differences between this and the Haggadah version that we have. The first difference, the first two differences really are born out of context. The Haggadah is a text that's used at a Seder. It's used with the family. It's popular text. Everybody's familiar with it. The Mechilta is a learning text. It's for the scholarly. So as a result of that, the first difference is, in the Haggadah, we start with, Baruch HaMakam Baruch Hu, this nice opening, Kenneget ba'abanim Di the Mechilta, it starts simply with a Pasuk, Ma'idot patim patim, etc. And then, a Midrashic development, Nimtzei Tomer Heim. According to these four different psukim, midrashically, we turn them into four different kids. Okay? So that's one difference. The second difference is that the um, the uh, order of the kids in the Haggadah is, and this may be telling, Chacham Rasha Tam Sheh del. We all know that by heart. In the Mechilta, the order is Chacham Tam Rasha V'Shen Right? Which now because numbers two and three got switched, it could be that two and three are are a pair, and we don't care what order they're in, and one and four are a pair. And like we said, a chacham can ask questions, and the fourth kid can't ask questions, and the tam and the rashar are like you know wholehearted belief and 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 aggressive confrontation could be. But it could be that what we have, what we're looking at is in the mechilta, is the opposite of the chacham, is the tam. Because that leads to the third difference. What's the Tom called here? He's not called a Tom. He's called a Tipesh. Right? And on the left side, by the way, you can see the original of this Bodleian manuscript of the Mechilta. So you can check it, make sure I typed it in correctly. I typed it in correctly. Um, he's not called a Tom. He's called a Tipesh, which then now makes a lot of sense because now the opposite of Chacham is Tipesh. So it's Chacham, Tipesh. And then you have another pair of Rasha which may mean that what makes the Rasha the Rasha is not only his ability, but his uh, readiness to challenge. And maybe Shane de eli is a kid who just doesn't challenge at all. And by the way, you might think that that's great. The answer is no, you got to engage him too. Even if he's just accepting everything, you still got to engage him. All right, so, so the first difference is the introduction, which is different. The second difference is the order. Which may mean that we're looking at the Chacham differently. And the third difference is what we call the Tom. Now, by the way, if you look at the next text that we have, you'll see that the third kid, that kid is also called Tipesh, which may mean that the, really the, na- the identity in the Midrash is Tipesh. But this, the Haggadah is going to be used by everybody. Not nice. So, Tom is a nicer word. I right, would call him Tom. Could be that Tipesh is really the essential kid that we have here. The kid is not that bright or not that knowledgeable. All right. You will notice now when we look at the um, at the mechilta, the mechilta gives us the same answer to the chacham as the, Haggad, as the haggadah does. Again, not what the Torah says. Chacham mahu omer maha and it doesn't list the rest of the pasuk, which gives which saves us a problem. Which, of course, the big problem that everybody talks about at the seder is the chacham ends with the word etchem, and we love this kid, and the rasha says lachem, we jump down his throat for that. How come? And there's tons. I mean, the amount of ink that's been spilled on answering that question is huge, but there might be a very simple answer to it, which we're going to see momentarily. Mechilta skirts the problem by not giving us the end of the pasuk for the chacham, and it says af atap Now, interesting, af is the same answer, the same introduction given to the sheino de'olishol. An interesting thing about how they might be paired. After you teach him pesach, teach him a pesach, and morlo pesach, And I gave you the original of afikoman in the Greek there, epikomon, which is after the pesach, you don't go do epikoman, which is going to other houses and singing and dancing and drinking, right? You rather stay in the house. Okay. Interesting, when we go to the to the Rushalmi, which is another earlier version of this midrash. You see, just like the Haggadah, Ben Chacham, not Chacham, Ben Chacham, okay, slight difference, Ben Rasha, Ben Tipesh again, Ben Sheneel Delishol. Now, Ben Chacham Mahomer, watch this, Maha chukim Vachukim Vamishpatim Ashetsiva Adonai Lehenu Otanu. So notice, the Rishami is quoting the Pasuk and quoting it as Otanu. If we open up our Chumash, we see Etchem. But we now have two witnesses to Otanu. We have the Greek translation and we have the Ushalmi, which may mean that really there was a variant text of the Torah at the time that had Otanu in Sefer Dvarim. That of course obviates all the problems with Etchem and, and Lachem and all the issues we have, because is this, this kid's totally bought in its Otanu. In any case, Afata <laughs> Morlo Wait a second. What happened in the outside of the Chacham? The Chacham up here in the Mechilta, the Chacham in our Haggadah, you teach him Hachot Pesach. Maybe you teach him all of HaChad Pesach, all the way to the last HaChad Pesach. <inaudible> Suddenly in the Yushalmi, what are you told to tell him? God took us out with a strong hand. Which means, who is this Chacham? Maybe this Chacham is a kid who knows the stuff, who wants to know what the reason is. He's interested in the reason behind things. So the answer we give him here is very similar to what the Torah gives him. Not the same one, but similar. And I see a further surprising thing. The Chacham we know in, in the Haggadah. Now, if you take a look at the Rasha, who I believe is the most interesting character in the whole thing. And here's where I where I think that Pshat in the P'sukim does give us more than one kid. I'll show you why. Or at least... More than one type of kid. Right. So famously, the He has taken himself out of the group As I'm not reading from the Mechilta. You take him out of the group too. Meaning he doesn't even part of the group. He says, "Lachem, you throw him out of the group." And Marlo Bavur You borrow the answer to the next kid right there, and he got it to. And you say, that's what Hashem did for me. And how do you read it? Leave um, a He did it for me, but not for you. If you were there, you wouldn't have been redeemed. Where do we get this from? Why do we think this kid's a Rasha? His question is perfectly legit. Is it just because we need someone to plug in the evil sun slot? slot? We bring him in? Where does that come from? So before looking at the Rushalmi, and the Haggadah is very similar to this one, before looking at the Yerushalmi, I just want to take us back here. When you read a pasuk, any pasuk, on its own, independently, you have a certain amount of information about how the Torah tells a story, about the way the Torah presents a law. The world of Midrash is the world of critical literature. I know that sounds odd, because we don't think of critical in, in a traditional sense. But it's absolutely critical literature. Meaning, we look at different texts and we compare them. And when we find that a text is odd compared to the other ones, we comment on it. So when the Torah lists uh, four different things in a Shabbat avidah, we ask, what's each one teaching us? Because we're accustomed to the Torah giving us one example. So whenever the, we, we were accustomed to a normal way of telling a story, of praising, of a law, and we have something which deviates from the norm, we immediately comment on. That's how Midrash works, but that's how Midrash's commentary on the Torah works. So now, take a look at source at this source here. When the kid asks you a question, it says, Yishalcha, he'll ask you. Here in Dvarim, Ki Yishalcha. And this is the Tam or tipeish, this is the Chacham. Take a look at this interaction. The first interaction we have around the Korban Pesach, we have, Now, if I only have this pasuk, I would think, yomru is a perfectly legitimate verb to use to describe asking. Because it says yomru, but it's followed by a question. The word ma is a question uh, word, so it's a question. But the minute that I have two other texts where your kid interacts with you, and the verb used is yish'al, he asks... Suddenly, I realize Yomru is not a question, it's a statement. Now, my back is up. When your sons say you, which, by the way, right away, I'm not happy with this. Why are my sons making declarations to me? But it goes further. Ma is definitely a question word, which means I would punctuate this with a question mark. But the problem is, Yomru says I should punctuate it with an exclamation mark. So I have to ask, what kind of question isn't a question? When is a question not a question? The answer is a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question. I mentioned this to my high school students. And I said, when your mom comes in and says, you call this a clean room? Or when your teacher comes and says, you call this a complete assignment? They're not asking for you to answer and say, yes, in my calculation it is. You should understand it's a statement of saying this is a mess and this is a terrible assignment. So if the kid here is saying, is saying, what does this mean? What he's basically saying is it doesn't mean anything to me. But he's sneaky and he's trying to couch it like a question. Now, we understand it's very appropriate for the parent or the teacher or maybe the boss to present a rhetorical question to an underling, a child, a student, a worker. It is absolutely inappropriate for that to be flipped, for a kid to challenge a parent with a rhetorical question. Imagine a kid walking in and saying to his mom, you call that dinner? Right? Totally inappropriate. So right away, before this kid even phrases the words, we are sensitive to the fact that this kid there's something wrong with it. And then we immediately pick up on the word lachem, and we say lachem is dripping with sarcasm. Lachem is dripping with with dripping with, with, uh, with adversarial confrontationalism. And if we pick up on lachem, lachem, and not you, you don't want to be part of it. Notice something else. In every other interaction, there is a proposition. Livingha, Speak to your kid. Here elav. Speak to him. Here it's Livingha, Speak to your son. And again, by comparing by comparing them, here it's You shall declare. And it doesn't say declare to him. And so right away we get a sense. A this kid is a belligerent kid. This kid is, is a non-joiner. This kid is somebody who wants to confront. And by the way, how does the Torah tell us to respond? Declare the answer, but not to him. Declare the answer, that everybody should hear it, but not to him. So now we've got a sense, oh, this kid is a, what we'll call a rasha. And now when we look into the mechilta, we see the fishot, see if that's woman I call, he took himself out of the group. How do he take himself out of the group? Because you can tell what his lachem means. So how do you answer? You take him out of the group. Now, when you look in our Hagada, it's pretty much the same thing. It adds in a line, af set his teeth on edge, which has a whole bit of parshanut, which I'm going to get to in a moment when we get to the Rishalmi. And you, and here, by the way, it takes the mechilta one step further. Bavur zea asa li, li, not leave v'lo me and not you, but rather leave v'lo lo, me and not him. You talk about him as if he's not there. If he were there, he wouldn't have been redeemed. You're saying it now, you're talking to the other kids. Now, let's take a look at the Yishalmi, which is just absolutely fascinating here. Ben Lachem. And now watch, remember, we don't like this kid's statements, so we're going to pick up on every word that we can and, and see something sinister in it. So lachem we've got now we've got the word avoda. Every year you give us this pain, all this Pesach stuff we have to do. He took himself out of the group. You say to him. So again, same pasuk. We're picking from the other interaction. And now we don't just say lolacha. We don't just say lo, You did it for me and not for him. Now we say, We really distance him. You did it for me and not for that guy. Had that guy been in Egypt, he would have never been been able to be redeemed. Very powerful statement. What's going on here? Who is this? So we have to remember that the Pesach Seder was a point of fierce interaction and fierce polemics between early Christians and Jews. Not that they were necessarily ever sitting together at the Pesach Seder, although they were in the first and beginning of the second century, but more because during the first couple centuries, the time that the Haggadah is being formulated, the Christians are celebrating that same night as Pascha. And it's very likely that in some Jewish families, there may have been somebody sitting there who actually had already taken on those beliefs. And if not, if not then there's neighbors who may be doing that. So notice what, who we're, what we're identifying. And this is classically Midrash, pulling things out of their context, putting them into contemporary context. What was the claim of early Christianity? And early Christianity is, Hashem does not want korbanot as seen from the fact that he destroyed the Mikdash. Hashem doesn't want you guys anymore, as seen by the fact that he exiled you. And so, is essentially echoing Paul, saying, we need all these mitzvot, why are you bothering us all with all these mitzvot anymore? And so what are, what's our answer? Our answer is, Bavur z'as Hashem, li. Hashem did take me out. I was taken out, And not Otohaish. You have to remember that Otohaish in rabbinic literature is often a reference, not always, but often a reference to Jesus. And if you remember that in the Gospels, there was a story that when Herod Antipater put out his decree that all kids should be killed, supposedly, that Joseph, Mary, and the baby ran to Egypt. And they stayed there until he died, until the king died, and then they brought him back to fulfill that which it says in Matthew to fulfill that which it says in the prophets from Egypt, I have summoned my son. Taking the Apostles from totally out of context, and doing what they do with it. Okay, a very big part of Christian thinking is that Jesus being in Egypt was a fulfillment, because Yitzhak Mitraim was a foreshadowing of the whole story of Jesus, including Jesus leaving Egypt and including all even the crucifixion. They take the dam on the as a sign for the crucifix. All Torah they build on. Notice what we say here. If Jesus had ever been in Egypt, he never would have gotten out. We don't believe he was ever there, and if he had there, he wouldn't have been re- redeemed. You think he redeems all of mankind? He didn't, couldn't have even redeemed himself. Now, this is something that does not show up in our Haggadah. Because our Haggadah either is, at least in this section, is post those polemics. or the Haggadah wants to focus differently. It wants to focus on the person in the family who, at least at this particular point in their life, doesn't want to be bothered with with uh, all of this and doesn't see anything particularly meaningful to him and, has to be, and, and therefore wants to be... Uh, Wants to be not included. In any case, just to quickly wrap it up, the Tom or the Tipesh, which is probably what, what he is, in the in, the, um, in Mechilta. Yes, yes, hold on one sec. Yeah. I'm mean, going to continue in the meantime. The In the Mechilta, um, the Tipesh um, is given the same answer as he's given in the Haggadah. Right, which is, um, which by the way is the same exact answer as given in the Torah. We don't have a name for him in the Torah. He's called Tam in the Haggadah. He's called Tipesh and the Nechilta. And the Ushalmi is where things are really fascinating because remember the Chacham had the answer, which is the answer we give to the Mazot question. In the Ushalmi, if you take a look at it here, the Tipesh is given the same answer. That we give to the chacham in the Haggadah. Teach him on Pesach. Pesach. And then it says, "Don't go from one group to the other." Because what's happened is the tipesh and the chacham's answers have gotten switched. Switched. Which tells you one thing—a broad statement about what this whole midrash is about. This. Midrash seems to be giving us a general direction, which is do not give one answer to all kids and do not have a stock presentation at the, at the Seder. Every kid needs to be dealt with differently. Every kid demands a different pedagogic model, and it has to be based on the way and what he asks, what he knows, what his interest is, how long his attention span is, etc., which means we could take the answer to the Chacham and move it to the Tipesh and vice versa. The Ben Shendere Dele Shol is always the same challenge, which is get him to open up. That, that we do, we have all sorts of tricks we do with the Seder to, to try to interest him, get him curious, so that he'll ask questions and get him opened up. But the interesting thing about the Tipesh and the Chacham is that this may have been, the Yushalmi may represent the earliest layer of this Midrash, in which the Tipesh is the one who's given the law of the Afikoman for a simple reason. Listen, you don't get much, but just don't leave the house. Very simple instruction. At the end of the Seder, don't go party with you know, like your friends do usually. Stay in the house. And the Chacham is given a very simple rewording of what the Torah says, which is, Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, Which means the Chacham's question is, why do we do these mitzvot? And the answer is, it's yet When the Haggadah wanted to align the, Chach, the, the Tam, with his question in the Torah, and he's no longer Tipesh. so it brought the same answer he has in the Torah, the, the Afikoman piece goes to the Chacham. But the Afikoman piece seems to be a weird thing to tell the Chacham, unless we add the word Ad, and suddenly it's not just, listen, just sit still, don't behave, be a nice boy, and don't leave the table, suddenly it's sit and learn everything with him, all the way to the last halacha, of Eim Haftir Nachar Pesach Afikoman. And that's why we have versions of the Hagadah that add the word ad, so it's not teaching them one halacha, it's teaching them all the halachot all the way to the last one. The truth is, there is lots, lots more to say, but I want to end with this text, the Lechachto, which is an 11th century midrash. Uh, in uh, in Parshat Bo, makes the following sort of summary of the Arba Banim. Notice a hard time, a of the Torah, which means he took this from the Hagadah. And then he adds, This is, if you think about it, modern pedagogy. Every one of them, the Torah gave a way to answer based on the matter. It's in the context based on his ability. There's four kinds of people in the world. Interesting to put the Rasha first. There are people who are rebellious, there are people who are wise and want to learn, there are people who are kind of simple, and there's people who don't formulate questions. Every one of them is taught in their own fashion at the Seder, and that's exactly what our job is to do at the Seder, the challenge given to us by this text, and the fact that the text has so many different versions is itself part of the learning of the Haggadah.